We are called to live radically generous lives. And the reason we're called to live radically generous lives is because when we do that, we actually reflect the Father heart of God. We reflect God and, and it's a response to uh, the gift of grace that he's given us. Our generosity, whether it be with our time or our talent or our treasure or our money, it should be a reflexive response. When we understand and we really grasp the, the magnitude of who God is and what he's done for us and, um, and the blessing that we have received as a result of being his children, the response to that should be an automatic response of generosity. God's grace is the action and our generosity, our giving, is the reaction. Ultimately, we give and we are generous because he gave first. He demonstrated what giving meant and, and when we understand that, then it's much easier for us to align ourselves with, with him and, and give the way he gave. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 15, which is arguably one of the, the greatest passages on giving and generosity in all of Scripture, Paul encourages the church in Corinth to live radically generous lives, to sow generously, to give joyfully, to be intentional, to look after those in need, and to honour God with what he's given us. And the passage ends with this, verse 15. The passage, it doesn't say congratulations for being so generous. The passage ends specifically by saying, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You see, generosity is always a response to what God's done for us. And if we can understand that, then we go from being just generous and kind because that makes us feel good and maybe we see a need, to being radically, irrationally and extravagantly generous in a way that changes people's futures and reflects the Father heart of God. Kingdom generosity is not just about helping people in need. It's actually spiritual. There is a spiritual element to kingdom generosity. And that's why it's a contested space. That's why whenever we say we're going to chat about generosity, some of us get a little bit tighter in our, our you know, shoulders. I was going to say elbows, but they're not your elbows, they're your shoulders. <laughs> and it's easier to do that when you've got shoulder pads in your, your jacket. Uh, you, you get a little bit tighter, you're like, oh, but I, I do give. I am generous. Why are we talking about generosity when I'm already generous? I don't, I don't need to be more generous. I'm already generous. Um, Great. If you are thinking that, then maybe this message is for you. Just saying. Kingdom generosity isn't worldly generosity. It's not about what we give or who we give to. It's all about why we give and how we give. It's about completely trusting God and allowing him to be Lord over everything and simply stewarding and responding Stewarding what he's given us and responding to his call so that we can make a difference in this world. And that's why it's a challenge. Because inherently we are selfish. We are born into sin and even if we are generous because we see a need, the level of generosity that God calls us to is not natural. It's supernatural. Here's a random question. How many of you prefer the window seat on a plane? Show of hands please. All hands up, those who prefer a window seat. Very good. How many prefer the aisle seat? How many unique people here just, just hang out for the middle seat? None. 
That's why virgins sell the middle seat at a reduced rate, because they know that nobody wants it. Well, all you window seat lovers, I have some news for you. Sorry. Psychologists think you are selfish. (laughs) According to an article in a British newspaper, Dr. Becky Spellman says this. This is from research. This isn't just her thoughts. Passengers who favour the window seat like to be in control, tend to take an everyone-for-themselves attitude towards life, and are often more irritable. They also like to nest and prefer to exist in their own bubble. How many people prefer the window seat? Let's see a show of hands again. Everyone just changed to the aisle. I'm, I'm now an aisle man. But don't worry, you aren't alone. Scientific studies show that uh, most of us, in fact all of us, are inherently selfish. And get this, men are generally more selfish than women. That's proven. You didn't need to, uh, inca- you didn't need to say, woo, that's, that's actually quite selfish of you, Maria, to, to do that. Men are generally more selfish than women. Studies show that the male neural reward systems are more stimulated by self-centeredness, while a woman's brain reacts more strongly to pro-social behaviours. In other words, women are more likely to get a, a dopamine hit from helping, while men get it from personal achievement. Another way of saying this is that men are more focused on surviving, while women are more focused on helping others survive. Isn't that beautiful? So if you ever get in a really serious crash, make sure there's lots of women around you. (laughs) They will help you survive. How many men here work out? Gets worse. Jacques Jacques does. (laughs) Gets up at four o'clock, you crazy men. Men, if you are in good shape, the news gets worse because researchers show that the bigger your muscles, the smaller your heart for others. (laughs) It's true. Recent paper in the Journal of Evolution and Human Behaviour has proven that more muscular men are less likely to support the redistribution of wealth than guys who don't work out. According to the study, authored by researchers from Brunel University in London, spending more time in the gym is linked to a more selfish socio-economic worldview. Now, I didn't believe this, because I know Jacques, and Jacques is one of the kindest, most generous humans alive. <laughs> but then I, I, I looked at a photo of Jeff Bezos just after he started Amazon, and he looked like this. He was worth about a million dollars. Have you got the photo number one up there? This is what he looked like. Oh, here he is. I don't think, I didn't think he knew how to spell Jim, let alone be in one. And then he started working out, and for the last 25 years he's worked out, this is what he looks like now, and he's worth $180 billion. What a beast, yes. But a very rich, selfish beast, Jacques. (laughs) Men aren't the only ones who are selfish, though. Sorry, ladies, it's your turn. A few years ago, a survey revealed in the British Volunteer Organisation, they did a survey of all their volunteers, women are less likely to answer the door when a charity comes knocking. (laughs) And when it comes to dividing a chocolate bar, women are almost always going to give themselves the bigger half. (laughs) Not quite as... Drastic as the men, but yeah. anyway, I say all that just to have a bit of fun, but to, to let us know that inherently we are selfish. And the generosity we're talking about today goes beyond just us feeling good and helping someone because we see a need. We have to get outside of ourselves, we have to partner with heaven 
And we have to understand that the kingdom generosity that God is calling us to does not come easily, does not come naturally, but when we embrace it, it changes the world. The Lord has challenged me over the last week because as I was preparing this message, I started preparing it going, oh, this can be cool. I'm, I'm generous. And then even a couple of days ago, the Lord literally woke me up and, and asked me this. When was the last time that you didn't hold back and you were truly generous? When was the last time that you gave without counting the cost? The last time you behaved with extravagant, irrational, radical generosity? And I couldn't answer that question. Just being really honest with you. I'm not perfect. We all struggle with this. I'm generous. I'll give you if I see a need. But when was the last time that I gave without counting the cost or gave irrationally and radically according to what the kingdom... I can't remember. And part of it is that the environment we're in at the moment is all about tightening our belt. All about, you know, what if you don't have enough? I have a house. We come off a fixed price mortgage in February and our mortgage will double. And that freaks me out in the natural because we prayed and God provided this house as a miracle and, and, then, and then God's like, yeah, but I, I provided the house as a miracle. It's not even your house. It's just you get to live in it. And as I started preparing this message, the, the, the fear and, and the fact that I, even my generous heart, had been affected by the environment and had, had not understood really what kingdom generosity was, even in tough times, started to, to get a little bit larger. And, started, and that's my prayer for you this morning, as we go through this, that you'll just take an order and go, where am I really? And where is God calling me to? Have I been affected like so many of us with the news of the day, with rising interest rates? Am I saving like crazy now and not spending a thing on anybody or any, anything because in seven months my mortgage is going to double? Or am I really trusting God? Now, I'm not saying be flippant. I'm not saying be, be irresponsible. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is we can get so, so concerned about us trying to control things that we stop hearing from heaven, that we stop responding when the Holy Spirit says, do this or give this or what about this person who's worse off than you? The truth is, three years ago, we didn't even own a house. And we were okay. We were renting. In fact, renting is a lot cheaper than owning a house. I've realized that over the last few years. We were okay. And now I'm getting freaked out that I might lose my house when four years ago we didn't even have one. So my question to you is the same. And I believe it's the Lord prompting. When was the last time that you gave without counting the cost? The last time that you behaved with extravagant, Irrational, radical generosity. Now, you don't have to put your hand up. This isn't the middle aisle question. This is just an examination of your heart. We've heard the stories this morning of what Hope Venture is doing. We have two Mimi houses, but the reality is, even in our Brisbane, greater Brisbane city, we could have six or seven or eight Mimi's houses or ten Mimi's houses. We could be affecting ten times the amount of families. And the only thing that's stopping us is resource. That's the reality. It's not the fact that the education department doesn't want them. It's not the fact that there isn't a need. The fact is we have to find a house and we have to train staff. And It's only resource. 
We're going to read about a group of people who gave joyfully and irrationally and radically out of a response of what God had done for them and out of a response of their love for their Savior. It's a great example. And despite the circumstances they found themselves in, despite the fact that interest rates were going up, despite the fact that the news of the day was saying, there's a famine, you're in big trouble, they gave. Let's read it. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. We're going to start there. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church, trying to encourage them to not just be generous, but to be kingdom generous, to live radically, extravagantly generous, generous lives. And he's talking about the churches in Macedonia. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Out of their extreme poverty welled up rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want you to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet he, for your sake, became poor, so that through his poverty, so that you through his poverty might become rich. This story has so challenged me. Because the church in Macedonia, the churches in Macedonia, didn't give according to their ability or their circumstance. They gave according to their response and their desire and their passion to partner with what God was doing. It says that their poverty overflowed in, in a wealth of generosity. That they gave even beyond their means. You see, they were, they were in poverty, but poverty wasn't in them. The Spirit of God was in them. And they were begging for the privilege of sharing in ministry. If Mimi's house had have been a thing in this day, the Macedonian churches would have found houses and just given them to Hope Ventures and said, run a Mimi's house, run a Mimi's house, run a Mimi's house. That's kingdom generosity. But how did they get there? Well, we're going to explore the various levels, types, mindsets of generosity that the Bible talks about. And my encouragement is we, we go on a journey and we end up in about 15 minutes with understanding what kingdom generosity looks like. So we're going to look at three different views of generosity that we find in Scripture. Let's read Haggai 1.6. This is from the New King James. You have sown much, but you bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put them in a bag with holes. 
The first way of looking at finances and and generosity in general is with a bag mindset. The bag says that there is never enough. This is the way the world thinks. This is how marketers will attract you to continually upgrade your iPhones and your iPads and your iWatches and and trade in your car after three hours to get... uh, Three three hours, that was it. We're getting there. It's three years, but... This is how the culture tells us to think. There's never going to be enough. So whatever you've got, hold on to. Because if you give it away, you'll have less. There's not enough to go around. And so many of us, without even thinking of it, live this way. The truth is, I don't have a bad mindset. But over the last three or four months, as I started to work out what my repayments are going to be in February, this has become a real thing for me. I've started to go... I can't afford another $1,500 a month, $1,600. I can't do that. They seem to, people with this mindset seem to always be struggling, though. They live pay de- paycheck to paycheck. And even if they want to be generous, they say, I would like to be, but I can't afford to give. Their rainy day fund is empty because they keep using their rainy day fund to pay for bills and car repairs and other things. And so many of the people that live with a bag mindset genuinely want to tithe. They, 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 they want to give. They want to invest in Hope Ventures. They want to be able to buy more blankets. But they just don't have enough in the bag. And the bag has holes in it. So even when they do put things in the bag, it seems to go. And they say things like this, we just don't have enough. Money doesn't grow on trees. We will have to go without if we do that. That's, that's a real thing. If I take what was going to be for that and I give it to them, then I'm not going to have that. But that's a bad mindset. That's just saying we've only got what we've got and that's all. We have to just make it do and make it stretch as far as we can. But God has so much more for us. We're going to get there. There's a sense of unfairness when you live in a bag mindset. And the reason I'm saying this is that I want us to all take audits. The unfairness is she gets all the breaks, or I work just as hard as, why why did he get the promotion? Or it's not fair because the rich just get richer and the poor just get poorer. When we have a bag mindset, there's this desire, there's this sense that we need to protect what little there is in the bag. It's my chocolate. It's my window seat. It's my time. It's my money. This is my bag, and I have to make it do. There was someone else in Scripture who had a bag. His name was Judas. In John 12, 1, we read this beautiful story of Jesus reclining and, and this woman who poured out expensive perfume all over his feet. She gave it all. She didn't hold back because once the alabaster jar was broken, she couldn't put it back in. It was, it was all or nothing. And this was a year's wages. This was the equivalent of a really nice Tesla. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know what everyone earns, but the average wage in Australia is about 75 grand, I think. I think Tesla's are about 75 grand. So imagine her just turning up and... That's, that's just to give you some context of what it was worth. Not only was it a year's worth of wages, but she was probably saving it for a dowry. So not only was she losing 
a year's worth of wages, but a lot of the women would, would carry this so that they would be able to get a good marriage and have something to contribute. She was putting that at risk. But her generosity wasn't in response to what it was going to cost her. It was in response to Jesus. It was in response to who he was. And when we understand that, when God said to me, it's not your house, mate. Seriously. This fear just went... Because what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is we sell the house, we put the money in the bank, way more than we had before we started, and God provides another house. It's not... It's, That's the truth, though. If I do everything I can over the next seven months just to save my house, how much time am I going to have to really look at who needs an intervention from heaven by me and by Helene and by our family? This radical, extravagant, irrational generosity, it comes when we understand who Jesus is, who God is, the, 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 the wealth that he Owns and the resource of heaven that is available when we plug into kingdom generosity. But Judas had a bag mindset and he says this in verse 4. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wage. What a waste. Why would you do that? Notice Judas doesn't say would have been. He says could have been given to the poor. It's all hypothetical. And then as soon as this scene's finished, we read that he goes and meets with the temple leaders and makes a deal to, to portray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, just to put more in his bag. Because he's, there wasn't enough in his bag. When we live with a bag mentality, there will never be enough. That's the truth. We get a new car and our neighbor rocks up and they've got the latest, greatest, and we're like, oh, you seen that? And marketers spend millions of dollars, billions of dollars, selling us this lie that the more you have, the better you feel. That you don't have enough, that you're not good enough. They do, and look at them. I'm here to tell you, don't look at them. Look at our provider. Look at God. And look at the people who need us to be in their world. There's a second way of thinking about resources and generosity, it's with a basket mentality. And the basket says there is enough. There's just enough. Or there's always enough. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus encourages us to go above and beyond the world's expectation of generosity. Because in God's economy, truthfully, there's always enough. Luke 6.38 says this, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Pastor Wayne preached a great message a few weeks ago saying there are people in this church who give things regularly, but those same things come back into their life. And the more they give, the more it comes back. There's a guy that just gives cars away, but he's always getting given cars, so he just keeps giving cars away. Jesus didn't say, keep it and it will be given to you. He didn't say, hoard it and you will be blessed. He said, give. Because the truth is what you have or what you keep is all you have. But what you give, God can multiply. As soon as you do that, God can do something miraculous with it. In 1 Kings 17, we read about this widow of Zarephath. She had this little oil jar 
and, and she had some flour, just enough to make a small piece of bread. And she goes out to gather some sticks for the fire, and she comes across Elijah, and, and she basically says to Elijah, we're just going to cook this fire, and then we're going to eat, and then we're going to die. Because that's all she had left. They were in a massive famine. But Elijah tells her this in verse 13, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and for your son. For This is what the Lord, of God, Lord says, the God of Israel, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on this land. How often when things are tough, when things are tight, Do we wait till what's left to give rather than what's first to give? It's really clear in this passage that God wants us to put him first. Give to God first. Trust God first and then he will provide. So she does. She trusts Elijah. She makes him a bread, which means in the natural she's going to have a lot less. She's already only on her last bread before she dies. She trusts God. She puts him first. And then a miracle happens. Her basket of flour and her jar of oil never run out. In 1 Kings 15, 15, it says, She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So, that, but, so there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. When we embrace a basket mentality, there will always be enough. As long as we trust God and give him the first of what we have. That's really important. We put God first, there will always be enough. How did the poor Macedonian churches see their situation? It didn't matter how much or how little they had. It says in verse 3, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us, for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then the, the, by the will of God also to us. They gave themselves first to the Lord. In tough times, when things are tight, when in the natural you have less, that is exactly the time you need to put God first. Because he can do more with what's left, when there's blessing on it, when he can multiply what's left. When you trust him, you're saying, even though in the natural this is what I see and this is what I have, I'm going to step out of that and I'm going to trust because God, you say and your word is real that you will provide. Paul encourages the church at Corinth to join with the Macedonian churches in this mission and share the same passion that those churches had shown. He says this in verse 7, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now the reason he's writing to them that is because they weren't. Because he's saying that you are already excelling in speech and faith and knowledge. Don't not excel in giving, in generosity. This leads us to our third point. The third way of looking at finance, at generosity, at giving... And this is where God wants us all to, all to live, myself included. And that's with this mindset of abundance. The barn mentality, not a bag mentality where there's never enough. 
Not even a basket mentality that says there is enough, but a barn mentality that says there is more than enough. There's way more than enough. Proverbs 3, 8 and 9 says this, Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. You see, radical generosity, kingdom generosity, is not about what we have. It's not about our time and our money and and, and what we give. It's about how much we trust God. That's really what it gets down to. How willing are we going to be to partner with him in what he wants to do to radically change this city? Matthew 6.33, we all know it. It says this, seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Now you either believe that or you don't. It's easy even for a pastor when things are tough to forget that verse. To read it but not actually make decisions according to the truth of it. I haven't, we haven't, me, Helene can speak for herself, she's super generous. But I've been looking, I'm the one that takes care of the finances at home and I've been looking and going, how are we going to do this? And it's caused me to, to, to pull my belt in. Which means I haven't been just seeking opportunities to bless people. I do if there's a need, but I've been trusting what I've been feeling and seeing and not saying, hold on, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible It says, seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. You know, the tithe, we talk about the tithe a lot and we often think about it, we focus on it as a percentage. And for some of us, 10%, that's really scary. And we haven't started that journey, or maybe we're not at 10% yet. But rather than thinking about it as a percentage, can I encourage us, just think about it as giving to God first. Bringing the first of what you have. When you get paid, straight away, I'm going to give God what's his. Because if you wait till what's left, there will never be enough. When we do this, giving actually becomes an act of worship because we're saying, I'm going to trust you. I know that everything I have comes from you. And I'm going to give you back the first portion of what you gave me. We read in the Old Testament, God tells Moses in Exodus 13 too, he says, Dedicate to me the firstborn among the Israelites. Every firstborn, the first offering, offspring to be born of both humans and animals, they belong to me. We all know that sheep have lambs. But God's saying to Moses, tell your people to give me the first. Don't wait till the lamb has 55 and there's a flock and then choose one. Just give me the first. The first belongs to me. And if we think about Jesus, who's the ultimate example, he's the firstborn of God, the lamb of God. God gave Jesus to us to redeem our sins and he, he gave first. While we were still in sin, God gave to us. He proves his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The tithe isn't just a 10%. It's actually returning the first 10% to the one who's given us everything. And when we understand that, embracing kingdom generosity becomes so much easier. Because it's not about money. It's not about percentages. It's simply about do you trust That God has you. That everything comes from Him and that He's given you what He's given you 
for you to steward and for you to use and for you to bless others. It takes faith to give first because you have to trust that God's going to be able to bless 90% and use that in a miraculous way more than what in the natural your 100% looks like. When Ellen and I, before we moved up to Brisbane, when we were living off, literally off Centrelink payments, I still remember we were getting $934 a fortnight. For about 11 months, we lived off that because the business was dying. And our rent was 420 a week. Now, I don't know if you can do the math. $840 a fortnight for rent. We were getting $934 a fortnight from Centrelink. That left us with $96 a fortnight. We still tithed. We still tithed and God came through every single time. One day we were about a, a week away from getting kicked out of home because we were seven weeks behind in our rent and we just prayed. We said, God, you've got to do something. Literally that afternoon we got a phone call from the real estate agent saying, thank you for your payment. I'm like, what payment? Someone had paid three months rent on our behalf without us knowing. Now, that, God uses people. But that was an act of radical kingdom generosity from someone who was praying, who was looking for an opportunity to bless somebody. And God said, the Neils are seven weeks behind their rent. But they're still tithing, so I need to look after them. God has blessed us so much. Which is why I'm annoyed with myself that I've, that I've let myself get frustrated and, and worried about the house. But how many of us are worried about stuff that's not even ours? It's not ours. We can't take it with us. Literally, we don't have a Mimi's house in the Brisbane campus. We don't because we can't find one. We've put in about 150 offers to rent places. We've looked at buying. We don't have one. The only thing that's stopping Mimi's house from being part of what we do here in Brisbane is we don't have a property. Now, I'm not saying go sell your house. I'm not saying that. But I know that God does things through people. And I know that when we understand radical kingdom generosity the world can change not only the world can change but we change we've got to wrap up the truth is that kingdom generosity is actually an invitation to an incredible life of freedom freedom from fear you know, I've been fearful about the house, about not being able to put a roof over my head for the kids. And God's like, I've got you. Go back out and start looking at ways to bless people. Don't worry about February. It's my house. Don't worry about it. And this freedom has come over me. I'm not, I'm not fearful anymore. I genuinely am not fearful because God's got me. You'll be free from being isolated. If you're if you feel yourself starting to look inward too much, there's a great verse in the Bible that says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Worrying about finance and focusing on how you can control everything that you've got will shut people out. Your world will get very inward looking. But when you start partnering with other people, when you start blessing people, we've got neighbours that have arrived. They've moved into their house three days ago and they're from China, Chinese neighbours. So I looked online. This is 
while I'm preparing the sermon and I'm like, I really want to bless these people. What gift are they going to appreciate the most? And apparently there's these little plants you can buy called Chinese money trees. And they love them because for them it means that their house is going to prosper. Now, I don't necessarily believe that, but this isn't about me, this is about them. I want to bless them. I spent about an hour and a half looking where I could buy a money tree in Brisbane. There was one lady on Facebook that had one money tree left. So after the preparation of doing the working bee, I drove to the south side and I got this little money tree and I'm like, I can't wait to give this to my... It didn't cost much. But my heart was full because this is going to mean something to that family because there's a family next to them that have taken the time to say, we love you, welcome to our neighbourhood, we want to bless you. We'll give them probably a lasagna as well because just a money tree though. But it gets larger. When you bless people, when you are in people's world, showing them kingdom generosity, watch your world expand. And the other thing is you won't feel overwhelmed. This is what the Lord says in Jeremiah. This is, this is what the Lord said. He who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. God has a plan for every single one of us. God has a plan for this church. God wants us in the, in the midst of what in the natural would be a financial downturn to be the most radically, crazy, extravagantly generous church. Not just because we can, but because in doing that, people's lives get changed and we honour the supplier of all of our needs. He wants to bless you. He wants to free you from the worry of feeling like you have to control what you have. Don't live with a bag mindset. Don't live with this mindset of scarcity. It'll kill you, literally. If you've been operating from a basket mentality, just trying to get by and, and, and just having enough, understand that God wants to pour out more into your life, that He wants you to live abundantly. We believe that he is a barn-blessing, big-hearted, open-handed, good and grace-filled God that wants to pour into your life so that you can be free from worry, free from stress, free from fear and make a difference in your world. That's kingdom generosity. And it's exciting to know that even if we are currently living with a mindset that isn't kingdom, all we have to do is open the Bible, land on a few promises and go, God, do I trust you? Do I trust me? Do I trust the banks? Or do I trust you? Why don't we stand together? I want to pray for you this morning. I'm not going to ask anybody to come forward, but I'm going to ask you all to close your eyes and bow your heads just so we can have some privacy. And if anything about this morning's message is rung true, if you've realised in doing a quick audit that maybe you've let the environment of the day become a louder voice than the voice of the all-powerful, all-knowing provider, if you've started to become fearful about the economic environment or about how you are going to manage, God wants to set you free from that this morning. This isn't about me or the church asking for more of your money. This is about God saying, will you trust me? Will you step into a, a greater level of trust? Will you put your future in me? Will you live free 
from worry and let me pour into your life so that you can bless others. (coughs) But if anything has rung true, I just want you to place your hand on your heart this morning. And we're going to pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are a generous God. We thank you, Lord, that you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything we have is yours. And God, this morning as we wrap up this series on generosity, I pray that we see the heart of the Father in what you're trying to tell us. You don't need our money, God, but you want our heart. You want us to put you once again as Lord of all in our life so that we can live free from fear, free from isolation, free from a feeling of being overwhelmed and and start once again to be blessing others and to look outward and to, to be partnering with heaven in making a difference in the world that we live. And God, I just break the spirit of mammon over people this morning. Father, I thank you that you have called us to greater levels of generosity. You have called us to trust you and place our whole life in your arms, knowing that we are secure, knowing that you will provide. And Father, we ask for forgiveness. If we have missed opportunities to bless, if we have missed opportunities to to make a difference because we have been inward focused. God, I repent of being worried and not trusting you, but trusting the the interest rates in the bank. Lord, and I pray that you will use me over these next weeks and months to be an example. Father, we thank you that we are part of a generous house. We thank you, God, that you showed us what it means to be generous because you gave us your son, even when we were apart from you, even when we were living in sin, you gave your son Jesus so that we might have a relationship with you. And Father, I pray that that seed that you've planted this morning falls on fertile soil and that you water it and that we can look for ways to be generous this week like we've never done before in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, just before we wrap up, I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed because I want to give you the opportunity if you've been listening to this and you are living in fear and you're living in fear because you don't even know what your future holds maybe you've been listening to this and you didn't realize that God loves you and that he's a God that will provide for you and I just want to give you the opportunity to respond this morning the Bible is really clear that God gave his only son his first and only son Jesus so that we could be in relationship with him so that The sin that caused us to be a part, the price of that could be paid by Jesus on the cross and we could have a relationship with Him. God wants you to live an abundant, fulfilled life. God wants you to be fear, free of the fear of your past and the fear of your future. And all you have to do is receive this gift, the gift of salvation. The Bible is really clear. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he died and rose again, you will have eternal life. And I'm just going to give you this opportunity this morning to say, I want that gift. I don't understand everything necessarily, but I want to follow Jesus and I want my life to be different. If that's you this morning, on the count of three, I'm just simply going to ask you to raise your hand so that I know who I'm going to pray for. One, two, three. Is anybody here this morning saying I want to make that decision. I want to accept the free gift of salvation. Maybe you just have questions. We want to be able to pray with you. We want to be able to answer those questions and walk with you as you do this incredible journey of faith. 
I didn't see any hands, but we're just going to pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who gave, you are a God who's generous. And Lord, if anybody this morning has made that decision, Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross, for taking our sin and our shame and for restoring relationship with our Heavenly Father. Thank you that you are generous. And for those people who have made that decision this morning, whether it be here or online, I pray that you reveal yourself to them, that they know that they are free from their past and that they have a future in you. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.